Thank you so much, praise team. Those songs are some of the most meaningful songs that I know, and I'm very grateful for your leading us today to the Lord in prayer. Thank you very, very much. If we were to list our favorite prayer promises today, um, I'm certain that sooner or later we would get to Matthew 7, 7. And that promise says, uh, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. But if we were all completely honest here today, I think we would say that sometimes that uh, promise seems to mock us because there have been times in our life that we have tried this and it has not worked for us. Um, How many of us would say that there have been times when we have asked but we have not received? There have been other times when we have sought but God has seemed to be very elusive to us and how many of us would say sometimes we have knocked And rather than the door being opened unto us, it appears as though the door has been slammed shut in our face. Now, if you have ever struggled with the problem of unanswered prayer, and who hasn't, you understand what I'm talking about this morning. Now, obviously, Jesus did not give us this promise to discourage us. We have to say this morning that if this promise does not work in our life, the problem is not with the promise, but it is with our understanding of the promise. You see, Jesus did not give this to us to discourage us in our praying, but he gave it to us to encourage us. Now, we have just been learning together in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, our Savior has taught us how to pray. And now we enter into a section in the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus begins to apply to us the content and the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that he applies to us is this encouragement to ask, to seek, and to knock. And so this morning, to encourage us in prayer, I want us to look at what Jesus has to say about asking, seeking, and knocking. Now in his teaching, what our Savior is going to do for us is he's going to examine our asking. And then he is going to examine God's answer. And he will tell us how it is we are to ask. And then if we have questions or issues about that, He will tell us how God will answer. Let's take our Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. And I want you to follow along as I read God's Word from verses 7 through 11. And we look at this amazing promise that our blessed Lord gives to us. Listen to His words, Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if he has a son who asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And all God's people said, Amen. Now let's begin by looking at what Jesus says about our asking. And I want us to notice that, first of all, Jesus encourages us to ask like a child. Now, in verses 7 and 8, with this imagery of a a father and his son, and God is our father and we are his children, he tells us how it is that children go to their parents for their needs. And the very first thing he tells us is children are persistent. Therefore, we are to ask persistently. In verse 7, when the Savior says, ask, seek, and knock, these were all common terms for prayer. Ask, as you know, was a common term that Jesus used for prayer. In the upper room discourse, John 14, 15, and 16, five times Jesus said that we are to ask. Seek is an Old Testament common word for prayer. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And knock was a common term the Jewish rabbis would use to speak of prayer. But there's something more here that we have to see. These terms suggest persistence. All three of these commands in verse 7 are present tense commands, and present tense commands in the original language of the New Testament indicate repeated action. So Jesus' emphasis really here in verse 7 is ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. In other words, the Savior is saying to us that we are not to give up, we are to keep praying. It's very interesting that the early church fathers picked up on this and they interpreted it this way. Clement of Alexandria was uh, one of the early church fathers in the early centuries after the apostles And this is what he said about this promise. Let the one who seeks not cease until he finds. And that is precisely what the Savior says. By the way, isn't this the way that kids are? Uh, Children are this way. They can be very persistent. Um, In certain restaurants, when you uh, walk into the lobby... Uh, there will be these coin machines that have little trinkets in them. Have you ever noticed those coin machines are always at the child's eye level? They are never at the adult eye level. And uh, one father's little kid always asked him, whenever they went to this particular restaurant, Dad, can we have 50 cents? Because uh, they wanted a certain trinket. The father's response was always the same. He always said, no, we've got more trinkets in our house than Carter has pills. Now, the kids didn't know the analogy, but you know that analogy, okay? 
and it never ceased to amaze him. Next time, they would go to the restaurant. Kids would say, Dad, can we have 50 cents? Do you know one time his boy caught him in a moment of softness? He gave him 50 cents. He put it in the machine. The kid turned the crank, and can you believe it? He got the wrong trinket. (laughs) After all of those no's, Because that little boy persisted, he got the 50 cents from his father. You see, children who have loving and generous parents are naturally persistent with them. Now, why does Jesus say, when we pray to God, we are to be persistent like a little child is? Well, here's the answer. All throughout the Bible, persistence shows faith. Uh, For example, I want you to think with me of Hebrews 11.6, where uh, the the, the writer says to us, um, He that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What is interesting is in the original Greek text, the the word, normal word for seek is the word zeteo, but in Hebrews 11.6, the apostle uses the word ek zeteo. Ek is a little preposition that strengthens the meaning of the word so that when he says we ought to ek zeteo God, it means to seek out, it means to seek him diligently. It is very much what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29:13, "You will seek me," says the Lord, "and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart." You see, Jesus is teaching us something very important here. Diligent seeking demonstrates faith, and God loves to reward faith. Let me say that again. Diligent seeking demonstrates faith, and God loves to reward faith. Let me ask you, who do you suppose may have been so audacious and so bold as to speak these words about prayer? Look at them. Prayer pulls the rope below, and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so lethargically. Others give but an occasional, an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the one who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. Who would have spoken so audaciously and so boldly about prayer? Well, you saw the name, didn't you? Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. And he was effectively representing what Jesus was saying about how we ought to pray. Is this the way that we pray? Do we pray persistently? Now, secondly, Jesus tells us that children are expectant, and so we are to ask expectantly. 
Look how he explains this in verse 8. Verse 8 is an explanation of why we ought to pray this way in verse 7. He says, For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open." Now, we are so familiar with this verse, we do not realize how rare this is. Uh, One Bible teacher, uh, Craig Keener, has made this statement about this promise of Jesus in verse 8. The boldness which this text promises answers to prayer is quite rare in ancient literature. So what we are so familiar with was rare in the ancient world. Do you know, even amongst Jewish people, it was thought that only the really pious individual got answers to their prayers. So a Jewish person coming to something like this would have said, you know what, this is for Abraham. This is for Moses. It's for Elijah or Jeremiah. It is certainly not for ordinary believers. But I want you to notice something very interesting. Look at the second word in verse 8. It is the word everyone. In the original Greek text, this word is brought forward so that the Greek text starts with everyone and the word for, which is the explanatory word, comes next. The word everyone is brought forward in the sentence. Here's what Jesus is saying. The emphasis of this promise is that it is for all of God's children who pray with faith. That's what he wants us to understand. Uh, When we first uh, moved here 10 years ago now, um, we bought a home, uh, as you know, about a half mile from us. And it soon became apparent to us that that house was going to need a new roof. Now, we had lived in a uh, parsonage for 17 years, and uh, it's no longer recommended that pastors live in parsonages because you can't establish any equity that way. And so when we came up and bought our first house, uh, finances were actually very, very tight for us. Now, God has wonderfully met our needs, as He always does, and and we have uh, some wonderful breathing room now in our finances uh, for the, for, from the generosity of God. But at that time in our life, our, tiny, our finances were very tight, and we had no idea how we were going to pay for this roof because we did not have the money in the bank to pay for it. And then something very interesting happened. There was a huge hailstorm that came through this area, remember? Quarter-inch-sized hailstones. And our house was right in the middle of the pathway of that storm. My kids were in a tree house when that storm came through. They thought the end of the world was, had come. And I'll never forget when the insurance adjuster came over to our home. We climbed up on the roof together, and he had this yellow piece of chalk, and he circled a dent there. He circled a dent there. 
and a dent over there and a dent over there. And when he was finished, he said, looks like you'll be getting a new roof. And sure enough, not long later, a check came in the mail to pay for our roof. Well, then, uh, as some of you may remember, I had an old 1986 Ford Temple. And that temple was sitting out in the parking lot that day, and the church was right in the middle of the uh, pathway as well. And I remember looking out at that temple with all this hail coming down, and Pastor Dave Hansen was there with me. And I often say to him, Pastor Dave, you saved my life because I was going to go out there and do something. He said, don't go out there. And when the hailstorm was all over, my 86 temple was full of dents. When I turned in the claim, the insurance industry totaled the car and sent me $1,000 in the mail for it. And I thought to myself, you know what, I, I really don't care. It's 20 years old anyway. So I kept driving the car and, and put the $1,000 in the bank. And, and I thought to myself, you know, Lord, I knew you could provide, but I never thought you'd use a hailstorm to do it. And what an encouragement that was to me that we are to pray persistently because it shows faith, and then we are to pray expectancy, expectantly because God loves to reward faith. Now, I know what you may be saying this morning. You may be saying, Pastor, that's great for you. We know that God takes care of his pastors. But, Pastor, what about me? What do you say to me when this doesn't work, when I've asked and not received, I've sought and not found, I've knocked, and the door has not been opened to me? What do you say to me then? And I say to you that Jesus has a very important word for us because he moves in this promise to how we ought to ask, to how God answers. And what Jesus says is that God will answer us like a father. Now, look at how he says this in verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now the first thing that jumps out at us here is this is a comparison of how parents and God answer requests. Let's put these two together, shall we, for just a moment. Let's put these uh, comparisons together. Let's notice how parents respond to their kids. And then let's notice how Jesus said God will respond to us as his children. This is a very, very fascinating thing. Um, Notice, first of all, that Jesus says that parents are imperfect. He says in verse 11, if you being evil... Now what this means is we are limited, we are self-centered, we are imperfect. It means that in raising our children, parents make mistakes. We are all imperfect parents, and as imperfect parents, we make mistakes and we mess up. Uh, Ellen and I were married much later in life, we got our kids much later in life, 
and uh, we decided that we were going to be the first perfect parents. And now after many years, I cannot count how many times I've had to apologize to my wife and my kids for the many mistakes that I have made. We all understand what Jesus is saying. We are imperfect. Yet notice, secondly, we are eager to give. Notice how Jesus illustrates this in verses 9 and 10. The imagery is of a hungry child in need. A man, he stood up before us and said, he knows what it means to be hungry in a way that many of us do not. Now, in Jesus' day, the basic food items were bread and fish. And so what the Savior says is this. If a hungry child would come to their parents asking for some bread and fish, the parents would not give that child a stone or a snake. Now, by the way here, uh, to see what Jesus is saying, the stones that Jesus mentions are found all over Israel Uh, Here's an example of one of them. They are flat, they are uh, round, and quite honestly, they look like a Mediterranean piece of flat bread. Uh, Let me put up for you this morning a Mediterranean piece of flat bread cooked over warm stones. There are the two side by side. Last night, I asked somebody, I brought both of them up, and I said to you, which one is the flatbread? He said, the one on the left. I said, that's the stone. Isn't that incredible? Now, here's the point that Jesus is making. Parents will not deceive their children who come asking for bread, give them a stone that looks like bread, and then watch while the kid looks at it and finally realizes I've been deceived and then begins to laugh because they've been taken in. He says, parents don't do that. Worse, if a child came and and asked for a fish, the parents would not give them a snake, which would not only be deceptive, but it would be harmful and deadly. So notice the cruelty here is threefold. It is refusing, deceiving, and even harming the child. No, no, no. Most parents want what is best for their kids. He says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children. By the way, isn't that where the problem is? As parents, we want what is best, but we don't always know. We know we should not discipline our kids in anger, but how many of us have done that at times? We know we shouldn't be too lenient or too strict, but we know that at times we have been both of those. Sometimes we have said yes, and we later thought, I should have said no. And sometimes we have said no, and we later realized, I should have said yes. We want what is best, but we don't always know what is best, and we mess up now. 
Let's go over and look at the comparison with God. And by the way, there are three amens in what Jesus says about God. So let's uh, give our Father the amens, all right? Here's the first thing about God. He makes how many mistakes? No mistakes. Look at verse 11. He is your Father in heaven. He's without limitation. He has no imperfection. He possesses all wisdom. He's the Father in heaven. He makes no mistakes. Here's the second amen. He is eager to give. Because he says in verse 11, how much more will this Father who never makes any mistakes give good gifts. By the way, uh, what Jesus is doing here in the how much more is a classic argument from the lesser to the greater. We understand those kinds of arguments. The idea is this. If the lesser is true, how much more is the greater true? What's the lesser? If imperfect parents are eager to give, how much more is a perfect father eager to give? It is an argument from the lesser, our imperfections with our kids, to the greater, God has no imperfections. And yet he's still eager to give as well. Now notice the third amen about him. Here's the third one. You ready? God knows what is best. You see, we want what is best for our children, but there's a big difference here. God knows what is best. The key to God's giving is understanding what Jesus means by the word good when he says, your Father in heaven will give you good gifts. The word good here is a word that means good in quality, and so it means beneficial or what is best. Uh, drop down to verse 17 for just a moment, and you will see another use of the word good that has the same meaning. Um, look at what Jesus says in verse 17. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Now, we all know what the word good there means. It means beneficial, it means healthy, it means uh, something that will be good for us, it means fruit that is very good in quality. So when Jesus says, God will give to us good gifts, what he means is, God will only give what is healthy for us, what promotes our well-being. By the way, isn't that where God has an advantage over us? Isn't it? We want what is good, but God knows what is good. That's the advantage that he has. If I could put Jesus' teaching here this morning into a principle about prayer, this is what I would say. If God says no... What I ask for may not be good, even if I think it is. God has something better. Please mark that down. The next time you struggle with unanswered prayer and you can't understand why you're asking and not receiving, you're seeking and not finding, you're knocking and the door is not being opened, the reason is right here. 
If God says no, what I ask for may not be good, even if I think it is. God has something better. Uh, Let me give you just a few examples because we want to bring this right down to where we live. God may not remove a health problem. Remember, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Most people believe it was a nagging health problem. Three times he prayed and asked God to take it away. And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God may not remove a health problem because he knows we need to learn humility and grace. And sometimes he says no because humility and grace are better. God may not remove the consequences of our sin. Remember the second time God said to Moses, don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. Moses got very angry with the people, dishonored God in front of the entire nation. And with a rock, he said, you rebels, and he struck the rock. Water came out of the rock because God is a good God. But God said, Moses, because you dishonored me in the sight of all the people, you are not going into the promised land. And Moses begged to go into the promised land, and God said no. God may not remove the consequences of our sin because He wants us to learn to obey Him, and He knows if He takes away the consequences, we'll go back to being the way we were. And sometimes He says no. Do you know, we may pray to God for a better job so we can have more money, and God says, no, I'm not going to give you a better job. You know what? Uh, Uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, whose Bible teaching you can listen to uh, on the radio here in Marquette at 9.30 at night, who's still having a ministry all around the world. He one day said in his broadcast, I heard this when I was a young man, he said, God has not made me a rich man. He knew he couldn't trust me. And you may pray for a better job or a promotion. God may say no. You need to learn contentment and you need to learn true values and if you get more money, you'll just blow it. You just use it selfishly. So God leaves us in the job that we have. Do you know God may not give us a marriage partner? We may pray for a marriage partner and and God may not give that to us. Uh, Ruth Graham, the, the wife of Billy Graham, said this, God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man. Several times. Did you ever thank God for unanswered prayer? Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that God is a God who doesn't make mistakes. He's eager to give. And he knows what's best. And so if he ever says no to us, then we have to re-examine Maybe what I asked for is not good, even though I think it is. And God has something better. One of the most famous prayers that has come down to us was a prayer that was written by an unknown Confederate soldier. Uh, In God's providence, we opened up our service with a song, We Don't Know the Author, And this prayer was written during the Civil War by an unknown Confederate soldier. And I want you to notice what he said because he got it exactly on the nail. He he just hit it perfectly as to what Jesus is trying to say. 
Let me read this prayer for you. I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I ask for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I ask for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I ask for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. And all God's people said, Is that not our God? That is our God. Ask, seek, and knock. Do it persistently, do it expectantly. And leave the results to God. He is far wiser than you are. Let's thank Him for that. Lord God, today, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your love and Your mercy. It has not escaped our notice that Jesus said, if you then, being evil. We know that we are fallen We know that we have an old Adamic nature that remains within us. And even, Father, on our best days, we know the vestiges of sin are still very much present. And we know that we deserve nothing from you. Everything is all of grace, as we sang earlier. And we thank you that you are a God who has no limits, so we should come to you. You are a father who loves his children. But you are also a God who is too wise to make mistakes. And you know what truly is best for us. You know what is the quality that we need. And we must confess that often in our limitations, we can only see the things that are in front of our noses. We cannot see the dangers to our own requests sometimes being answered in the way we want them to. And how we thank you that you are wise enough and loving enough to say, no, I have something better in mind. And so today, we just turn our lives over to you once again. You are all wise, all knowing, and you know what is best. And the trials that you send, we know are for our good. And so today, we do not complain against you. We do not turn our hearts from you, but instead we keep coming. Knowing that prayer is not so much about getting things, it's about being exposed to God. It's about your life being impressed upon our life so that we can be more like you want us to be. Thank you for the simple and yet penetrating teaching.
of the Lord Jesus. Help us to live dependent upon you, content in your goodness. We'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.